Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Hey everyone, Dave here at the How We Solve podcast. I am with Nikki Grandich, founder and designer of NG Studio Jewelry and ethical with an edge fine jewelry brands. Nikki, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for being on the podcast. I haven't actually uh, had a a guest in the jewelry space, uh, but we've definitely had a few guests I've spoken with in kind of the the ethical angle of things like fashion. So it's great to kind of dive more into that topic and understand more how it applies to your niche, your industry. But before we do that, let's talk about how you know, you got into the field of, of became a jeweler, you know, so as someone who is a master of jewelry, tell us the story there. So that actually kind of happened on accident. I had started college as a graphic design student and um, with an international business major as well, kind of thinking that if I wanted to have a creative career, that graphic design was really my option if I didn't want to want to be a starving artist. So I started taking the graphic design courses and kind of pretty quickly realized that this really wasn't a fit for me. So I started just taking other art classes that sounded interesting, like glass blowing and sculpture. And a friend of mine eventually suggested I take a jewelry course. And it was honestly love at first sight. Pretty much sitting down at the jeweler's bench, I instantly had the feeling of this is where I'm supposed to be. And I think I changed my major the next day. Wow, that's super cool. Uh, I, I think a lot of people can be a little envious to have that type of an aha epiphany type of moment. Uh, it's not, you know, I, I do marketing. I, I can't say I ever like uh, opened up a WordPress blog and was like, oh, this is where this is where <laughs> I was meant to be. Uh, so, so props to you on that. So you started making some jewelry, but then at some point it became a business endeavor. So how did that kind of transition happen? So that transition had happened actually when I was graduating. A couple of my professors had nominated me for the Wingate Fellowship, which is um, for graduating students in applied design majors. And uh, they award 10 students every year with a $10,000 grant. So I was lucky enough to have my body of work um, selected as one of the winners. So I was able to get that grant. And that's what helped me set up my studio at home still at the time. And while I was a student, I was still thinking about, you know, if I wanted to start a business after school and kind of what direction I wanted to go in. And it was kind of through some more tragic news and learning about uh, the Rana Plaza factory collapse that I decided that I really needed to take this in a more sustainable direction. And if I did want to start a jewelry business, that I really had to be conscious of where my materials were coming from and who the people behind those materials are. For those uh, who don't know, because we, we talked about this earlier on the call, the factory collapse. Tell us a little bit more about that event, uh, just so everybody's in the loop about what what you know part of your sort of inspiration you know was. I was in college at the time that that happened, and um, the Rana Plaza is a factory in Bangladesh that was manufacturing clothes for H and M, Joe Fresh, and a handful of other um, large international fashion brands. And factory head collapsed, killing about 1,100 people who were mostly young women about my age at the time and injuring another like 2,500 more. And it was really one of the largest industrial disasters in our history. But as a college student, I was big into fast fashion at the time and really didn't think about it. I was a regular H&M shopper and I was just suddenly woken up to the fact of, oh my God, this was really the true cost of my clothes. 
So that motivated me to learn more about where the clothes that I loved were coming from, who was making those clothes. And then the same translated to my materials as a jeweler of who was mining, you know, my silver or my gold or my gemstones. Yeah, it's uh, obviously uh, that's tragic, but it is nice to know that it had an effect on someone like yourself and hopefully many other people as well to change maybe the way they they intend to do business uh, so that it wasn't, you know, totally in vain. In the jewelry industry, how do you know your stuff is ethically sourced? I mean, this is some sort of certificate. I mean, how does one kind of confirm that? So that's actually a really good question and kind of a really complicated one to answer because it's going to vary a bit depending on the materials. So for gold, for instance, if you want um, precious metals, gold or silver, that's responsibly sourced. Third-party certified, 100% recycled is a good option. But then there's another option, which is called Fairmind. And they have um, Fairmind Eco as well. And in that case, that means your gold is being mined by groups of small-scale artisanal miners who are paid a fair price, who are working under some very strict environmental standards. And it's all third-party audited as well from this uh, Alliance for Responsible Mining. So um, you know that like with fair trade, they're being paid a premium so that they can better invest in their communities and their own operations. Um, They're not working with toxic chemicals like mercury, which is unfortunately quite common. Interesting. So it, it really does depend on the material that you're using for the jewelry. Yeah, because the supply chains look so different for gold versus um, diamonds versus colored gemstones. And that's another thing about the jewelry industry that I find kind of fascinating, which is that I mean, I've had a guest on here, for example, that maybe makes uh, some sort of food product, right? And so they have a they have essentially one product that they're looking to kind of build at, at scale uh, in service to everybody. Whereas with jewelry, every single piece is effectively like unique, more or less. I mean, that must be complicated, I imagine. Is that, you know, is that something, am I perceiving that as difficult or is it actually as complicated as it sounds? I feel like it's just a, it's a different set of challenges than um, having one product that you're really trying to scale up. Instead, you know, you're dealing with someone who um, maybe has never thought about buying an engagement ring before and is suddenly thinking of what would be the perfect piece for my partner and what would they love. So it's really interesting being able to guide people through that process and kind of end up with a piece that, you know, is something they really treasure and is something that's just you know, such a big part of their life. Speaking of guiding people, how would you say the awareness is nowadays of jewelry being or not being ethically sourced? Like, for example, um, you know, I've seen the movie Blood Diamond, <laughs> as I'm sure many people have. Great movie. My wife had as well. So when I bought my wife a wedding ring, she said, hey, I want you to make sure this is, you know, ethically sourced. And so I used a company called Brilliant Earth. I don't know if you're familiar with them. And they can write that all, all their diamonds are sort of ethically sourced. Is that common? Is you find that is fa- fairly common awareness nowadays? Or do a lot of people still need to be kind of educated about the differences in sourcing this material? It's fairly common that people are aware of blood diamonds, for instance, and that people are aware that there are issues in the jewelry supply chain that they want to avoid. But what I run into is that people really don't really know much beyond that, that I don't want a blood diamond. But if you ask somebody what a blood diamond is, they're not really sure either, which blood diamonds actually do have a legal definition. And it's very, very narrow. It's um, that the diamonds aren't funding um, armed rebel conflict against legitimate governments. So for instance, things like child labor, 
or forced labor or um, environmental damage don't factor into that definition at all. So does that open the door for certain companies to claim that they're not using blood diamonds, that their stuff is ethically sourced, when in reality there are these other gray areas, or maybe not gray, like child labor, et cetera, not really a gray area, but you understand what I mean, that they are able to exploit? What I end up seeing is it ends up being a little bit of kind of greenwashing from some companies that it'll be things like, you know, we only work with miners and mining companies that are legal and legitimate businesses. And so for them, that might mean we check the box for ethically sourced. There's no definition for what ethical or sustainable mean here. So it's very easy to just kind of say it. Got it. So yeah, there's maybe a I guess you have to really do your due diligence with each company in terms of the way they source the materials if you if you you know really want to know kind of what's going on, right? Yeah, it's a lot of um, asking suppliers, you know, if they know where the diamonds came from, if they know who mined the diamonds. A lot of times a supplier won't be able to tell me if a diamond came from Russia versus South Africa because they don't know either. Or they might need to go, you know, two or three steps back to get that answer too. But um, really, I think it comes down to uh, just being really transparent about what options people have, because you still do have a lot of options for responsibly sourced diamonds, per se, like Canadian diamonds or Australian diamonds make a great option for newly mined stones, uh, reclaimed diamonds that are third party certified post-consumer are probably the greenest option that you could ever come across because there's no new mining or energy that you need to procure these stones. Or um, there are lab-grown companies as well, like the Diamond Foundry, which is the only carbon-neutral diamond grower in the world. So you mentioned the need to educate the consumer, that a lot of people say, I I don't want a blood diamond, but they don't actually know what that is. Um, Talk a little bit about some of the content creation that you've done to educate the consumer. You talked about, yeah, maybe it's blogging or social media. So last year, one of the pieces that I had put together was actually um, a how to shop your values guide for diamonds that just kind of laid out a bunch of the options for people in a way that's unlike a lot of what I see on the internet, because a lot of what I am seeing, if I'm just looking it up, is likely somebody's marketing piece, really, either from the Diamond Producers Association, which is representing companies like um, De Beers and Alrosa and Rio Tinto, like these huge mining companies. And to them, a lot of it is um, lab-grown diamonds are, are not okay. They're not real. They're not as unique. They're not as valuable. They're trying to kind of devalue the, the opposite product, I think, versus I see a lot of lab-grown diamond companies likewise also saying that all mining is bad. I've seen advertising on Instagram from a diamond grower that actually ended up being removed later because they got called out, which was basically equating all mined diamonds to blood diamonds, which is also false. So it's, you know, a lot of kind of one company yelling their point, another company yelling their point, but at the same time, like the consumer is still not really getting that they have options. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. And it seems like a problem nowadays in many industries where people are unable to kind of find like a middle ground and it's sort of very black and white. It's either, you know, you do what I do uh, or you're wrong. And it sounds like both both sides of things are kind of pointing the finger at the other. So, you know, is the consumer able to determine? I mean, if I go on a website and I, I guess I see that it's sort of ethically sourced and things like that, I mean, are there follow-up steps that I should take to confirm or To what extent can I kind of trust what I read? I think it's always worth asking how someone is defining ethically sourced or asking them where their stones are coming from specifically, because 
you know, if they can't really answer where it's coming from, can they actually answer if it's ethically sourced? It's a fair point. And it seems like a relatively easy check to put in place just to kind of ensure, yeah, a little bit more credibility around everything. So, well, that's great to have that little sidetrack to learn about, you know, the the ethical source of diamonds and things like that. But I definitely want to get back to the business, the marketing side of things. Obviously, uh, you, you had the, you know, getting back to the story, you received a grant that helped you get your shop up. So how did you go from there to actually get the word out about your pieces, get some customers? After that, it was a lot of social media, a lot of in-person events as well. I work with a handful of retailers also. So I do, or at least pre-pandemic, I would do um, trunk shows and pop-up shops and different events at their stores as well. So I actually got to do a really cool one last year, kind of centered around the Responsible Jewelry Conference where some of the women who are actually mining, we had uh, representatives from the Tanzanian Women Miners Association at the conference. So some of the miners who are mining some of the gemstones that I use even were in a jewelry store in you know downtown Chicago with a gem dealer, the, the store's clients. So really like the entire supply chain of women-owned businesses at the end of the day, just under one roof was really cool and kind of a, an opportunity that the clients also really, and the miners never would have really had otherwise. Uh, yeah. In trade shows, um, I, I like spoken with uh, other guests, uh, someone who, for example, made soap and, and they also talked about, you know, farmers markets and trade shows and, and things of that nature. And that seems like a, a relatively go-to strategy for someone selling a physical product. To what extent have you kind of transitioned to online sales and, and work towards kind of growing that that presence, or is it still a lot of the more the in-person approach to marketing? I've definitely been doing more to kind of grow the online side, and part of that has been really letting people know more about especially since the lockdowns um, and all the closures and stuff have been happening has been letting people know that love isn't canceled and walking them through the design process for, you know, some of my favorite or client favorite um, past custom projects. So they really see kind of the whole story building in that one piece. And I mean, I've definitely had so many people reach out seeing their piece in your social media, just like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're showing our piece. Like, you know, I love this ring so much. I can't believe all the detail that went into it. My mom actually, uh, well, on a much smaller scale, she makes uh, sea glass jewelry. So there's a little bit of, of jewelry running in, in the family. Uh, and I can relate to, at least I know her feeling when somebody loves the piece that they just got or you share it on social media and, and everybody's kind of, you know, liking it and, and kind of sharing their admiration of it. So it's uh, it's a very cool feeling, I think, to be able to kind of create something that, you know, somebody's wearing. And jewelry really is like forever. You know, I mean, uh, unlike just about everything else. Uh, I mean, even a, you know, a nice piece of fashion or something eventually is going to kind of go old and and probably not going to be used anymore, but jewelry is pretty much forever. So that's really neat. What are some of the next kind of steps and milestones for, for NG uh, studio? Um, So some of the next steps, I actually just became a Fairmind licensee. So I'm transitioning part of my collection from, which was previously all recycled gold and silver to have more of a uh, fair mind gold in it and be able to offer this for um, custom pieces as well. I still have a whole bunch of gemstones that I had kind of purchased right before everything started to close down. So I'm excited to actually kind of turn those into some real pieces. And then, yeah, later in the month, I'm going to be kind of launching a few different initiatives to kind of help give back 
throughout as well. So right now I'm currently working with Gem Legacy and donating a portion of sales to their um, emergency COVID-19 relief fund for minors. That's great. Tell us more about Gem Legacy and, and their efforts. So they've been working in Kenya and Tanzania to help mining communities with education, with equipment, and with primary and secondary school for um, their children. So, but with um, the pandemic kind of coming around, the gem trade is extremely international. So the second all those lockdowns were starting in Asia, a lot of international buyers left Africa. So that's left miners with, who often live a very kind of like hand to mouth existence with no source of income because they can't sell their stones. So Gem Legacy, um, Rachel from there was already in Tanzania kind of when this was happening. So they really shifted everything immediately to kind of meet the kind of food security needs of miners and also give them masks, sanitation supplies, and guidance on how to stay safe with COVID translated into Swahili. (laughs) Very cool. Uh, It's great to hear about the work that's being done in that area. For people that want to, you know, learn more about your studio and see your lovely pieces, I see you're wearing a necklace, by the way, which I assume is one of yours. Yep, this is uh, mine. <laughs> um, tell us how they can find you. Uh, so you guys can find me at ngstudiojewelry.com and on Instagram at ng underscore studio underscore jewelry. Awesome. Thanks so much, Nikki, for sharing your insights into the jewelry industry, talking about getting the studio up and running and your plans for the future. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on here. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E dot com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.